1983 fading into the distance and the new year will be here. When we were touring for Bark at Moon, at one point, he got really drunk. I know, surprise, surprise. He was really drunk on the tour bus. And he says, I had to fuck you. That's the business. I, when I was in Sabbath, we got fucked. Now I have my own band. I fuck you. Eventually, <laughs> you'll get your own band, and you'll fuck them. That's just the way the business goes. Nothing personal. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it felt kind of personal, but all right, whatever. Hey, what's going on? Right here, and this is Sabbath Bloody Podcast of a Madman. How are you doing out there? I'm recording this a few days earlier than usual. I'll set it to drop on Wednesday for you, but by the time you get this transmission, I'll be lakeside, drinking my margaritas and floating around in inner tubes down the river there. <laughs> no, I'm probably just going to be chasing my batshit crazy daughter around all week, but still... I'll be out of the apartment, a break from my home prison, sorry, I mean home office, (laughs) much needed. They're trying to build a prison. Well, I'm here now, laying down another year in the history of Ozzy Osbourne, and this will be a fun one today. I got some legit debauchery for you to cover, so before I get into the choo-choo crazy train here, I'll give my props to the network. So a big old Bark at the Moon to the Deep Dive Podcast Network, Skinnered Reconsidered, who's kind of going into the home stretch now into his last season. So get over there before that podcast crashes and burns. Then you got the constant professionals that are Nate and John over at Deep Purple Podcast and the chairman of the board. Thank you for sanctioning my vacation this week too, sir. T-Bone Mathley and his prime cuts. Okay, let's get on the train now. (laughs) Right, okay, 1984. My birth year, by the way. So, as I was just coming into this world, the boys were lighting that shit on fire. The bark cycle is in full swing here. Ozzy, Jakey, Daisley, Airy. And for a little bit here, anyway... Carmine Apice. A. Apice. He didn't last long, though. Carmine gets bounced pretty early here in the year. Apparently, he got a little carried away with himself and was doing too many fucking drum clinics on the side and being a bit of a show-off live, adding on necessary fills to songs and shit like that. Ozzy wasn't having any of it, so they booted him. But apparently, Carmine had a contract in place, being the street-savvy New Yorker that he is. And he ended up actually suing Sharon and management for breaching that contract. And he won. So, definitely the last we'll be hearing from old Carmine apiece. If you take down the war machine, you ain't coming back in. (laughs) Certainly doesn't leave the door open for any kind of reunion. So, cheers, Carmine. Nice to meet you. Your brother's cool as shit. Say hi for me. (laughs) And so, Ozzy and co. are left with no choice at this point but to tuck their tail between their legs and invite old Tommy Ulrich back to the fold. Hey man, sorry about slagging you. Uh, No hard feelings, you know? Tommy comes back in with what I assume would be a big paycheck, given that he's really 
the only one who can jump in at a moment's notice like this. And he doesn't even have to learn any of the parts. I mean, he fucking wrote them. So he'd be pretty dumb not to ask for a big payout from Sharon here. And so they roll on without missing a beat. Literally. The only damage control that they need to do is cut a piece out of all the promotional material for the tour. I've heard that they even went as far as cutting his face off of t-shirt designs that he was on. And then still selling the t-shirts with the hole in them and stuff. If anybody has one of those t-shirts, it's bound to be a collector's item, right? This drummer switch was all very early in the U.S. tour here. And they also switched up their support acts once they arrived in the States. Let's introduce the full bill here for the Bark at the Moon tour. This is what we'll be pushing for the majority of 1984 here. You got Ozzy, of course, headlining. With his former bass slot fill-in, Mr. Pete Way, and his band Wasted, opening up the festivities. And also on the bill, in the setup spot, right before Ozzy there, a little up-and-coming group of <laughs> glammed-out, transvestite-looking Elvira's called Motley Crue. Oh no, things are gonna get messy. It's time to party with the animals here. I haven't been spotlighting the uh, sport acts so far. And we've had some good ones, actually, some established rock acts. Motorhead being the top selection for me so far. But also, who do we have in here? There's a whole column in my spreadsheet to doom here that I've been ignoring. Who's in here? Yeah, Budgie, UFO. So, some more Pete Way action there back in the day. Some early Def Leppard. A lot of new wave of British heavy metal legends here. I think the Scorpions play with them from time to time, too. Saxon, a White Snake. Actually, Ozzy opens for White Snake in Europe. Uh, Y&T is in here. So it's like a who's who of legit hard rock here. A lot of great bands. But it's really from this point forward, the Bark at the Moon cycle, that Ozzy's support acts are kind of lower in the rock totem pole than Ozzy himself, you know? Like more up-and-comers. And Ozzy, as coked up and <laughs> cracked out as he is at this point, he becomes kind of a rock and roll mentor for the undercard. And if anything... He's kind of a cautionary tale for the youngins here that he starts bringing out on the road. Including his own bandmates at the time. I mean, just ask Jakey Lee. You know, it was fun to party when Molly Crew was opening. Okay. Because uh, they were my buds. I knew them from L.A. And so that was a lot of fun. It was never fun to party with Ozzy. Because um, <laughs> Ozzy, Ozzy, when he's sober, is a sweet funny guy he's like one of the funniest guys i've ever met he's just he's just fun to be around when he's sober and he is for a little bit just a tiny bit of of a window there where he starts drinking and he's still fun um and then he just and then he uh and then a switch goes off and he just he is not fun. He's not fun. He's me. He turns mean, and and just ugly. And and uh, if anything, seeing that made me cut back on uh, the amount of partying I did. Yeah, yeah. It was it was never fun to party with Ozzy. And there was times where he would knock on my door. It'd be like three or four in the morning, and uh, in the hotel, and nice. I'd be sleeping, and I'd wake up. Because he would not quit knocking until I opened the door, and he'd come in. He says, "I've got this idea for a song." I'm like, oh, "Okay, let me get my guitar." And then, and then this literally, to me at least, this is what it sounded like. Okay, play this. I'm like, 
Holy shit. Can you hum that again? And, uh, uh, <laughs> so I, I hit something on the guitar, anything like this, and he get all pissed off. He, no! Listen to me. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I'd sit there trying, and oh, God, I wish I... After about the third time it happened, I turned my uh, tape recorder on so I could record all of it. <laughs> and, and, and I played it back for him the next day, and he just looked at me and said, Oh, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. It, it, it'll never happen again. And, and thank God it didn't. But oh, I wish I knew where that tape was. I've said this before, but I just love Jakey's interviews. Like, I love how honest he is and... He just doesn't bitch about things in the past. He lets it out and in a less rehearsed manner than most of the cats that were wronged by Ozzy. And it's cool to hear he really got along with Motley Crue, too. That would have been a good release for him because after Costa left, it was Ozzy, Daisley, Aldrich, and Ari here. So Jake must have really felt like an outsider, like the young buck just getting his first taste of the world stage while the other ones are just grizzled and jaded fucking veterans by this point. Motley Crue were very early in their career, too. Young and hungry, just like Jake, coming from that same L.A. scene. And Shout at the Devil would have just came out. So they were red hot and ready to prove themselves, breaking pretty hard on the MTV for what that's worth. But let's be honest here. (laughs) They're pretty mediocre in the talent department. But they got the looks to kill, right? So style over substance, that's pretty much epitomized by Motley Crue. Again, not a knock. They do what they do, and they do it well, and they know how to sell the image, just like bands like Kiss do, right out the gate, and well into present day even. Even if you don't like what they're selling, they're still selling out arenas, or were, before COVID took care of them. <laughs> and I love the stories of excess from this Bark tour that they like to tell. And in that regard, let's open up with a clip here from Motley Crue member Tommy Lee, recalling a night at the Holiday Inn with... Ozzy on this tour. I'm like, oh, dude, let's just go to the fucking room. Let's just chill out. Come on. And the fucking right and it fucking and it's just going like I'm like, dude, please. I just fucking grab him like, come on. Take him to the elevator. I find his room, put the key in, I'm like, okay, bud. I like push the door. I'm like, okay, bud, you're in your room. Okay, bye. He's like, no fucking come in, mate. And I'm like, oh fuck, I almost got out of here. And he pulls me into his room, pulls his pants down. And just shits on the fucking floor. A fucking big shit on the floor. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, dude, I gotta go. No, fucking come. And he fucking drags me back in. And now he picks up the shit. And he's got it in his hands. And he's just smearing it all over the walls of his fucking hotel room. I'm like, dude, I gotta go. This is fucked up. And I just, I, I just, I remember turning around and, and I just, I saw his, his back and he was just painting with his shit on the walls. And I just fucking was like, now's my chance. And I fucking pinned it out of there, dude. I was like, this is on some other next level shit. Like, I'm not really ready to compete at this level. I'm cool with, you know, taking a shit in the toilet. <laughs> okay. Now, should we tell the more infamous Aussie gross out stories here? <laughs> Because I got my copy of The Dirt in Hand. (laughs) The infamous novella. 
And this book is pretty easy to find at charity shops worldwide now. It's sold very well, but a lot of people don't revisit it, I guess. Like, I got the hardcover special edition here for 50p back in an Irish charity shop a couple years ago. <laughs> Definitely worth it for that, if only for the Aussie chapter here. Just to give you a taste, let's have a reading here, shall we? I've got my dogs here right at the Aussie part. <laughs> this part is written by Nikki Six. And it kind of timestamps things for us, too. February 22nd, 1984, Lakeland, Florida. And it gets pretty graphic, so put down your food if you're eating right now. <laughs> Jesus, a reading from the dirt. <laughs> My God, what has this podcast been reduced to? I thought we had some class. <laughs> Here we go. Ozzy hardly spent a night on his tour bus. He was always on ours. He burst through the door with a baggie full of coke, saying... I'm the Krilly Man, doing all the krill that I can, I can. I can, I can! <laughs> Sharon! And we'd snort up all the krill all night long until the bus stopped and we were in the next city. In one case, that city happened to be Lakeland, Florida. We rolled out of the bus under the heat of the noonday sun and went straight to the bar, which was separated from the swimming pool deck by a glass window. Ozzy pulled off his pants and stuck a dollar bill in his asshole and walked into the bar, offering the dollar to each couple inside. When an elderly lady began to curse him out, Ozzy grabbed her bag and took off running. He came back to the pool wearing nothing but a little day dress that he had found in the bag. We were cracking up, though we weren't sure whether his antics were evidence of a wicked sense of humor or a severe case of schizophrenia. More and more, I tend to believe the latter. So, the stage is set here. Shall we continue? Why not, right? We were hanging out, us in t-shirts and leather, Ozzy in a dress, when all of a sudden, Ozzy nudged me. Hey, mate, I fancy a bump. <laughs> Dude, I told him, we're all out of blow. Maybe we can send the bus driver out for some. Give me a straw, he said, unfazed. But dude, there's no blow. Give me a straw, I'm having a bump. I handed him the straw, and he walked over to a crack in the sidewalk and bent over it. I saw a long column of ants marching to a little sand dugout built where the pavement met the dirt. And I thought, no, he wouldn't. He did. <laughs> he put the straw to his nose and with his bare white ass peeking out from under his dress like a sliced honeydew, sent the entire line of ants tickling up his nose with a single monstrous snort. He stood up, reared back his head, and concluded with a powerful right nostril sniff that probably sent stray ants that probably sent a stray ant or two dripping down his throat. Then he hiked up the sundress, grabbed his dick, and pissed on the pavement without even looking at his growing audience. Everyone on the tour was watching him while the old women and families on the pool deck were pretending not to. <laughs> he knelt down, getting the dress soggy in the puddle. He lapped it up. He didn't just flick it with his tongue. He took a half dozen long, lingering, and thorough strokes like a cat. <laughs> then he stood up, eyes blazing, mouth wet with urine, and looked straight at me and said, Do that, Six! I swallowed <laughs> and sweated, but this was peer pressure that I could not refuse. After all, he had done so much for Molly Crew, and if we wanted to maintain our reputation as Rock's most cretinous band, I couldn't back down, not with everyone watching. I unzipped my pants, whipped out my dick, in full view of everyone at the bar and around the pool. I don't give a fuck thought to steady myself as I made my puddle. <laughs> I'll lick up my piss. Who cares? It's for my body anyway. But as I bent down to finish what I'd begun, Ozzy swooped in and beat me to it. 
There he was on all fours at my feet, licking up my hepatitis-ridden piss. <laughs> I, I added the hepatitis part there, but one could assume, right? I mean, I'm sure Nikki shared some lays with Tommy over the years. Sorry, back to Nikki's re- recollections here. Recollections. <laughs> There's a Freudian slip. I threw up my hands. You win, I said. And he did. From that moment on, we always knew wherever we were, whatever we were doing, there was always someone who was sicker and more disgusting than we were. Okay, that's enough of that. Nikki goes on to talk about Sharon and her attempts to make the tour more sanitary, with Nikki dubbing the rest of the tour the No Fun Tour 1983-1984. And they try to keep Ozzy from going off the deep end by imposing kind of curfews on him and not allowing groupies backstage. So the tour goes on like that. It sounds like Sharon tries to really get a handle on things, wrangle these maniacs, but there's no chance with these fucking heathens, right? The crew turn out to be the ultimate enablers for Ozzy. Live, though, the band was sounding and looking really good, in my opinion. Ozzy looks a little more trim, a little more badass than he did last year. Could be the cocaine intake at this particular juncture. But let's take a look at a show now. How about... This one here, March 18th, 1984, Salt Lake City, Utah. One for the Mormons here. They play, I don't know, Mr. Crowley, Rock and Roll Rebel, Bark at the Moon, Revelation Mother Earth, Steal Away the Night, Suicide Solution, then you get a guitar solo out of that from Jakey. Center of Eternity, a drum solo from Aldrich, Flying High Again, Iron Man, Crazy Train, and... And the other one that's always there. I don't even have to say it, right? But let's drop in on somewhere in the set here. I'll let the madman introduce the cut for us. Build some suspense for you guys. <laughs> What's it going to be, man? Is everybody having a good time? We're going to come to now. I'll listen to Buzz album. I'm going to call Revelation Mother Earth. fucking solid there. Tricky song to do live for Revolution Mother Earth. No hiding any mistakes in that one, and they pull it off great. Jake is just locked into Don's keys there at the beginning, and not just a hair farm wanker here, folks. Jakey is top tier in all aspects of guitar and playing in a fucking band. Okay, so the cycle with Motley Crue, it actually wraps up in October, and as you can pretty much predict, after that Grand binge of doom. No sooner than November, Ozzy goes straight into the Betty Ford clinic. (laughs) I think Sharon actually tricked him this round. But all roads lead to rehab for Ozzy. Palm Springs this round. 
And this was actually the first official rehab stint he did, I think. I think he's well into the fucking double digits by now. <laughs> I've lost count, but... After all the stories that we've been covering today, it's no surprise, right? Let's tune in to one of his Howard Stern appearances in the 90s here when he reflects back on his stint at the Betty Ford Clinic. He's checking in. You know, my wife put me in Betty Ford, and this is a God's honest truth, hmm. hoping that they would, would teach me to drink like a gentleman. <laughs> I, was like a, I was like a pirate, man. I, I go in there with a, like, a, like, a, like a George Armani suit and everything. I got my tie and I'm ready for a go, you know. Right. And I so, said, oh, direct me to the cocktail bar. And they all look at me as if I've just landed from Mars. You, know? you go to Betty Ford and ask him for the cocktail bar. Well, I did, man. Said, my, the only way my wife could get me to go in was she goes, look, I'll teach you to do it properly. Right. Because right. uh, I thought I was doing it wrong because I kept waking up in weird and wild places. Right. So you said, well, maybe there's a way. Right. Well, maybe there's a way that I, I can learn. I don't know how to drink. Yeah, maybe that. I should drink like a gentleman. Just have a couple of beers or something like this. That's, and then, what, that's what I went there for. Yeah, but take then, one or two lewds. Then they go, then they go like... Uh-uh. Uh-uh, you can't have anything. But it's like the doors are closed. And, ben, and you can't get Betty out. Ford walks in, she's like, it's like, whoa. Betty Ford actually shows up? I was supposed to go on several occasions. Really? Well, I think I did. She's very quiet. She was a very quiet woman. But it's like she would, like, come and inspect the place like the royal, like a queen. And there's a grain of coffee over there, cigarette right there. <laughs> Give him 50 lashes. And did you try to make out with her or anything? Like, were you sorry? Make out with Betty Ford on the general Ford of a You don't even think he wanted her. Oh, Howard. Always a class act. <laughs> Sorry about the fucking morning zoo aspect of that clip there. I tried to carve out them, but it's near impossible with those fucking clowns laughing over everything. Oh, did you fuck her, Ozzy? <laughs> what are the groupies like? I have a small penis. Let's talk about that, Ozzy. <laughs> fucking stern. <laughs> he has a lane, and he sticks to it. <laughs> I guess the same can be said for me, right? But the legendary sit-downs that... Howard Stern gets with the madman on his show. They're fucking awesome. Lots of fun. So, Ozzy has a dry Christmas with Betty there. But the rest of the band, they start gearing up to record the next album. Setting up shop right there in Palm Springs, actually, so they can stay in touch with Ozzy during his Betty Ford treatment. And <laughs> Maybe that's why he didn't take this clinic at all serious, right? <laughs> like, I thought the point was to disconnect from everyone. And... He talks about Sharon coming in and bringing him shit and the boys giving him demos and all the stuff they were working on. I don't know the ins and outs of rehab, but that sounds like a pretty useful session for a madman in the thralls of a rock band. <laughs> Even while in rehab, though, Sharon was lining up some big gigs upon his release. We'll kick off 1985 with a huge festival date, the inaugural Rock and Rio. But more on that next week, guys. For now... Let's close her down. I hope you're having fun diving into this diary with me. So get in touch with me, lads, if you're out there. Find me on the Twitter, at SabbathBloodyPC. That's the best spot. At least send me a fucking bad emoji or something. Let me know that you're out there and tuning in. Because... <laughs> you can email me too, SabbathBloodyPodcast at gmail.com. And most importantly, leave that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, if you please. Night. I'll see you. See you on the other side. <laughs> I don't know what melody is that?